to the fifth episode of Close Up, which is our Metro Cinema podcast. It's a roundup of the films that we're showing. This month, uh, we're concentrating on stuff we're showing in May. And I'll mention before we get started that throughout the show, you'll be hearing music from the likes of Mark Templeton, Matthew Belton of Mangled Tapes, as well as the Pigeon Breeders, and probably some stuff from myself and Ryan Hegedus. Uh, we've been composing music in our spare time now as well. That's another thing. Why not start a band? Right, yeah, the yeah. Metro Band, coming exactly. soon. As you do. Weren't there supposed to be like 10 of you? Yes, there were. Numbers dwindled. <laughs> <laughs> I must also thank Leonard J. Paul, who has very kindly allowed us to use some of his score to the film Beep, uh, which is a documentary about the history of video game sound. And uh, I'll put details and links up uh, to take you to the Bandcamp page where you can purchase the album. Uh, but it is fantastic, as you will hear. Right, so May is a very busy month. We have uh, a couple of festivals. So Northwest Fest is going to take up a, a huge amount of that. And I'm going to be talking to Guy Lavallee uh, as well. So uh, we'll save that for then. But we might as well just start off with Brianna. Actually, no. You know what introductions. we might as well do is the introductions. Because last time it took half an hour before we got <laughs> into that. So my name is Owen. I'm the projectionist at Metro Cinema. I also host the Metro Trivia at the Tavern on White on the last Sunday of every month. And uh, to my left... I'm William. Yes. I scoop corn. You guys know that by now. Yeah. That's all I do. You are regular fiction. Yeah. He does do other things. <laughs> That's uh, not true. He's uh, attempting an education. <laughs> attempting. <laughs> yes. Somewhat failing, but you know. <laughs> uh, who else do we have here? Hmm? Uh, Brianna. I'm another friendly neighborhood corn slinger. <laughs> I'm Talisha, and I manage these corn slingers. You <laughs> manage the corn slingers? <laughs> yeah. So you're like the queen of corn. <laughs> <laughs> Suppose. Sure. Well, I don't know if I'd really call myself <laughs> yeah. that. Um, I don't think anyone would want to call themselves that. Yeah, I also do communication stuff with the website and design volunteers. Okay, we all work at Metro, basically. That's what's right. happening here. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. an important detail. That's the thing that really binds us all together. <laughs> <laughs> the, only the only thing, thing. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to start off with Brianna because uh, we're going to talk about your staff pick. Now, staff picks is something we do, how often do you do it? Is it every month? Or every second it? month. Every I second believe. month. I mean, it should be every month, but mm-hmm. it's Actually, not. You know what? Well, we definitely have more that. than 12 members of staff. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein, May 13th at 7 p.m. It's one of the few sequels that I actually think is better than the original. It's something I, I remember from my childhood. It was one of the first horror movies I ever saw. I watched it with my dad, and I have loved horror ever since. Uh, it's also one of the few female horror characters, or monsters at least. There are a lot of final girls and and things out there but there are very few female monsters so yeah it is especially for the era as well mm-hmm. yeah that's exciting i love staff picks i think it's a great thing that we do actually i chose uh, gummo because i'm quite pretentious <laughs> um i also love it and i've seen it a lot of times way more than a person should i think uh but i do still enjoy it what did you pick Delisha? um i actually used it to bring in a movie i wanted to see oh. uh, it was an icelandic film called Metalhead. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Okay. When you had uh, you had uh, La Grande Bellezza, is that right? Or was uh, eight and a half. You had eight and a half? Yeah. I was in between which one I should show. Okay. If you came, you probably heard me talk about both films, but yeah. That, I mean, that might be a more pretentious choice than Gummo, I would say. Eight and a half. Possibly. That's like the you did make, uh, you I'm did an undergrad. Make... <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. Let's move on to Women in Love. Part of the Band in Alberta series? Uh, it is, it's Dave's. Uh, so I spoke to Dave last time about the uh, Tom Jones film. I also, weirdly, I was joking about how that's where Tom Jones must have got his name from. Ha ha ha. <laughs> it is actually where he got his name from. 
He's, he liked the film so much that that's what he chose as his musical uh, uh, alias. But it is directed by Ken Russell, who's made uh, a couple films which uh, I'm uh, a big fan of. In fact, Altered States was um, one of the ones that I chose for the cinema of psychedelia. Also, The Devils, which we showed uh, sometime last year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that was a great film. It is a great film. Uh, featuring Oliver Reed. He has a very intense presence, that guy. Incredibly so. Yeah. For maybe two weeks, I drove around in the car just repeating lines from the devils, <laughs> trying to imitate his voice. It's actually a lot of fun doing impressions of, of uh, Oliver Reed. You should try it. So as well as providing me with an opportunity to channel Oliver Reed in my car, Ken Russell's adaptation of D.H. Lawrence's Women in Love also garnered Glenda Jackson with an Academy Award for Best Actress it's also one of the first theatrical films to show male genitalia, uh, along with Haskell Wexler's Medium Cool, which came out the same year in 1969, uh, although it is recognised for uh, other accolades as well. Apparently, Oliver Reed and Sir Alan Bates were apprehensive about filming the, uh, the infamous uh, wrestling scene because of insecurities over who had the largest member. Eventually, both of them got drunk, compared sizes, and realised that there was, uh, there was little difference between the two, so they just carried on. So that is screening on Saturday 25th at 9.30 and uh, I think it's reasonable to expect a fairly meaty introduction from uh, series curator Dave Clark as well. Now, May is also Asian Canadian Heritage Month in Canada, which is a reflection and celebration of the contributions that Canadians of Asian heritage continue to make to the growth and prosperity of Canada. Thank you to the Government of Canada website for that very succinct wording. Uh, as part of that, Metro is very lucky to host a short series of films curated by author, poet, journalist, editor and occasional belly dancer, Alexis Kinlan. So, Alexis, uh, welcome to our shiny new podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. From what I gather, this is your third year curating for Asian Heritage Month. So what does it mean to you to be able to bring uh, these films to an Edmonton audience? Well, actually, it means quite a lot. Like, um, originally, we ha I had the idea and I talked to some friends and one friend said we should have Asian Canadian films. So um, we're only, a, I guess we're the only, um, we're the third city that does it. The other cities that show um, like a film series or like a film festival are Vancouver and Toronto. And so now Edmonton does it too. And it's just kind of a way of showcasing films made by or starring Asian Canadians, um, which is an underrepresented market. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about uh, a little bit about the films that we're actually showing. So it's, it's, a, it's a three film uh, series this time. Yep, and there will be some shorts too. Um, we haven't quite confirmed all the shorts, but I know that there will be one by a local Edmonton filmmaker called Sean C. Okay. So I think we'll be opening with a film by a Toronto-based mixed Chinese filmmaker called Aram Collier. And the film is called Stand Up Man, and it's the story of a young Korean um, stand-up comedian named Moses Kim. So Moses is kind of at the start of his career, you know, doing stand-up in Toronto. Then he gets married, and, and a, a little bit after the wedding, his parents tell him that they're going on a mission to Africa, and he has to take over their restaurant in Windsor. So then he has to move back to Windsor and kind of, you know, figure out how to be an adult, basically. Yeah. And then his cousin from Korea ends up coming over, and that, again, forces him more into the role of an adult. So it's an interesting film because it, it kind of looks at, you know, what is it to be a young man? 
And what does it mean to be an adult? I will say it looks quite comical. It is a funny film. It is a debut film from the author. So, like, what I did like about this film was that it told a story that, even though I haven't had a cousin come over from Asia or anything like that, I could relate to because I have heard stories from Asian friends who've had cousins or nieces or nephews come over. And there was just sort of... It, it, I did feel that I could relate to the film. And I also really liked that it was set somewhere other in Canada, but somewhere other than Toronto or Vancouver, like in, in a small city, Windsor, for yeah. example. And that was that really appealed to me too. Um, and there are... There are some imperfections with the film, but I sort of found it just charming. And while I was watching it, I was engaged. So I was like, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to screen this one. Yeah. So that's the other thing with the... Um, sometimes people will bring uh, films to my attention. But one of my things with picking the films is I kind of have to feel an affinity for them. Like I just I have to feel an affinity for what we're going to show and what we're going to show to an Edmonton audience. So I know you've lived in a, in a variety of bigger cities in Canada yeah. as well, but you've also had that kind of small town... Yes. Uh, experience and uh, so I feel that that's that something that relate you know spoke to you kind of personally on that level well a little bit yeah I mean I grew up in Saskatoon so I'm always looking to represent and show different different cities and the cities that don't kind of the underdog cities of which I feel Edmonton is kind of an underdog city because there's a lot of yeah. great things that are happening here and it doesn't get showcased as much as some of the other cities trying to program this and like now watching what's happening in Asian Canadian film. There are people and there there are films and there are people who've been making films for a long time, but finding them, you have to do work. Yeah, definitely. Uh, We showed, uh, or we're currently showing, Ash's Purest White, and that's another one where that's probably the biggest film that he's made to date is uh, Jie Jang Ke. Yeah, I just saw it last week. He's made a lot of films before that. We're only just hearing about him now here. Yeah, but he's quite a big name, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of Asian cinema. One person who we haven't shown any of his films, Richard Fung. He has made. I have him on my list to show because he has made a ton of shorts for years. Yeah, and they're very different and very interesting. And still, it's just a matter of two if I only have three spaces. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's I just okay. but it's interesting to look and try and figure out who to who to slot and. Um, Who's making stuff? Yeah, exactly. The second film we're showing, uh, so I should say the first one, uh, we'll repeat this at the end, but the first one, uh, Stand Up Man, is on May 22nd, which is a Wednesday at 7 o'clock. The second film in the series is on the 24th, which is a Friday, also at 7, and it is Badass Beauty Queen, the Anastasia Lynn story. Uh, Now, she's an interesting character. Yeah, this movie, um, as soon as I started watching it, it was, this one was pretty much like I watched probably 20 minutes or something, and I was like, okay, we're showing this. It's yeah. just, it'll attract people. It's interesting. It's a good story. It's a well-done film. So um, Anastasia Lin is a Chinese woman who moved to Canada, became Canadian. I don't know if she's a citizen but or a permanent resident. She's uh, been declared a persona non grata in China yes so she's not allowed back into no, the country no because well what happened was she came here and then she decided she started learning about <clears throat> human rights and stuff and uh, especially Falun Gong like she became very anti-Falun Gong um, but she was also interested in the beauty pageant world so she competes in Miss World as Miss Canada okay um, wins the title as Miss World and then starts going around talking about human rights and Falun Gong and the, what the Chinese government is doing to people. So, of course, the Chinese government 
they pay attention to this. And yeah. at one point, she's not allowed back in the country. And her mother lives in Canada. She, Anastasia lives in Toronto. Her mother lives in Toronto. But her father's still in, in China. So, of course, that presents some personal problems as well. But she's also quite a character. And just watching her, this is a documentary. So just watching her tell her story is, of course, very interesting. Um, and it hasn't been confirmed yet. But we're hoping to have Amnesty International come out for that night, too, and do some tabling and stuff. Because this is a human rights issue. Yeah, absolutely. So the last one on Sunday, May 26th, uh, which is screening at one o'clock, is uh, Mixed Match. This is the second documentary of the three. This one thing that is interesting is that while looking for Asian-Canadian films, there are a lot more people making documentaries than any other film style. Okay, what do you think that is? I have no idea. <laughs> I just think that maybe that's the stories that people want to tell, yeah. is documentaries, but there, it is very noticeable. When you look, it's like a lot, <clears throat> a lot of documentaries. Yeah. I mean, certainly when you're talking about films that are kind of always going to have a bit of a marginal audience, sometimes documentaries mm -hmm. are a way in for people. Um, because they sort of uh, have a different way of expressing that culture. It makes it more relatable if you have a sense that it's real. Canada does have a rich history of documentary and documentary filmmaking. So in some ways, like, it was set up by the NFB. Like, there's an actual reason why we have it. So many different, like, funding bodies and that kind of thing. So it would make sense that people who are, you know, now making more from a... Mar more marginalized people are now seeing like, hey, we can tell our stories, let's get into, get into this, and documentary is probably a good venue to go into. Right. We did have one film a couple of years ago, we did the, we screened The Apology, which was a film about um, women who are comfort women in uh, Asia, and we screened it as part of North Northwest Fest. Oh, so it was like okay. made by an Asian Canadian filmmaker, but we partnered with North Northwest Fest to get more people out and just kind of have partnership there too. Uh, so Mixed Match is about cancer patients looking for blood transfusions but they're mixed race which presents a whole series of problems in the process which I had completely no idea about which I suppose is the point of the film. Directed by Jeff Sheba Stearns who also made uh, Yellow Sticky Notes which was a, a short animated film made with uh, post-its post -its, yeah which was a series of, of things that were happening in the world written on the post-its as well as his personal life which he's kind of like cut together um, so yeah mixed match is kind of a bit of a uh, a leap forward in terms of its uh, its depth, I'd say. Well, uh, what's interesting is, so Jeff, I've met him several times over the years. And um, so he he is, I'm mixed Chinese, Jeff is mixed Japanese. And so Jeff started out as a classical animator and then started making films. And then he became really known for this film called What Are You Anyways, which explored his um, Japanese heritage and his mixed roots. And so then he started flying around and going, speaking at, about mixed race issues at a lot of um, conferences and stuff. And so that's kind of what he became known for. So his first documentary was called One Big Hap of Family, which was about, because he noticed that every, his family, all the Japanese women in his family, including his mom, had married Caucasian men. So he went into kind of the idea about outmarriage and why Japanese married outward. And he learned that if you have um, like certain kinds of bone cancer, you cannot receive bone marrow transplants from people who are white if you're mixed race. So what, what has happened is like basically people who um, are Chinese or mixed race don't donate as much. So mostly if you're in a donor bank, it will be generally Caucasian people. 
but people who are mixed race actually have different stem cells. So you need mixed race donors. So in the film, he explains that he talks to people who are mixed race who are donating. He talks to a woman who, uh, who has form, formed an organization in the States called Mixed Marrow, and she goes around telling people about donating and about this, because most people actually don't know. Um, if, you're interested, if you're just listening to this and you want to look up more information, Canadian Blood Services has the One Match program where you can get screened and you just send in a cheek, a cheek swab and they can screen and see if you're eligible as a donor. Mixed race people are the fastest growing demographic in North America. And we're going to have this problem where we don't have enough donors for, for these people. Um, I've actually just this week saw one on the internet, uh, mixed race Asian Caucasian man looking for a match. So I think this film is, it is interesting. And Jeff, since he is a classical animator, does use some of his classical animation in the film and documentary and animation fused together to kind of tell the story. So oh, it is an actual issue that honestly most people don't know anything about. No, no, I, I freely admit I, I didn't know what the film was about. I certainly couldn't have told from, I thought it was a film about dating. <laughs> Um, mix match, yeah. And then uh, realized very quickly that it wasn't <laughs> at all. So you've mentioned um, that you want to have uh, certain short films, although the list is probably much longer than it will end up being. Uh, do you have, Is there? are you going to try and get filmmakers come in for Q&As or, or to do Q&As via Skype and things like that? That's sort of thing um, I think doing. at this point we're doing a Q&A with Stand Up Man. We just had to change the date for that one. So I think we're doing a Q&A for that one. And then Jeff from Mixed Match would definitely be available to do a Q&A. Okay. And we did show the first year of the film festival. We showed One Big Happy Family and to do a Q&A with him. So he's always doing interesting things. He just did a children's book about mixed race animals. Okay. <laughs> like he's always like, you're just like, what? He, he runs, it's called Palooza, and it's a festival for mixed race people in Vancouver every year. Okay. He's from Vancouver. So he just kind of does all these different projects. I think he teaches animation too. So starting on May 22nd at seven o'clock, which is a Wednesday, uh, we've got Stand Up Man. On the 24th, which is a Friday at seven o'clock as well, we've uh, got Badass Beauty Queen. And then on uh, Sunday the 26th, um, at one o'clock, it's Mixed Match. Uh, so uh, Alexis, thank you very much for coming and talking to me. Thank you. There are a few things I enjoy more than a tenuous link. So moving on from Ken Russell, who directed The Devils, we also have a new documentary from R. Nixon director Penny Lane called Hail Satan, which follows a highly entertaining group known as the Satanic Temple who work to preserve the separation of church and state against the privileged position of the Christian right. The temple has chapters in 13 or so US states as well as Canada. I'm just going to read uh, the mission statement here. The mission of the Satanic Temple is to encourage benevolence and empathy among all people, reject tyrannical authority, advocate practical common sense and justice, and be directed by the human conscience to undertake noble pursuits guided by the individual will. Politically aware, civic-minded Satanists and allies in the Satanic Temple have publicly opposed the Westboro Baptist Church, advocated on behalf of children in public school to abolish corporal punishment, applied for equal representation where religious monuments are placed on public property, provided religious exemption and legal protection against laws that unscientifically restrict women's reproductive autonomy, exposed fraudulent, harmful pseudoscientific practitioners and claims in mental health care, and applied to hold clubs alongside other religious after-school clubs 
in schools besieged by proselytizing organizations. So it's perhaps not as demonic as it sounds, but rather an alternative set of tenets which promote compassion and empathy, justice over laws and institutions uh, that obstruct it, uh, that one's body is inviolable and subject to one's own will, respect for the freedoms of others, including the freedom to offend, I like that one, um, beliefs that conform to our best scientific understanding of the world, the acceptance that people are fallible, but that we must do our best to rectify and resolve any harm that is inflicted by that fallibility. And finally, uh, that the spirit of compassion, wisdom and justice shall always prevail over the written or spoken word, which seems like an odd one, not least because I wrote this down and then spoke it. But broadly speaking, uh, there's very little to disagree with uh, there in my opinion. The film is initially screening as part of Northwest Fest on the 4th of May at 9.15, then twice more on the 19th at 9.30 and the 22nd at 9.15 again. So we hope to see you there. Uh, Cloven Hooves optional. It sounds like they're a very uh, inclusive bunch. Uh, I'm now joined by two members of the Dead Femme Front, and they be Lacey Page and Sydney Marie Curtis, who both of them have been regular uh, regular fixtures at Deadfest over the years in a variety of capacities, uh, curatorial or otherwise. And they're here to talk about the next film in the Dead Femme series, which is the 1984 coming-of-age thriller Suburbia, directed by Penelope Spheris. So thank you both for coming. Now, Suburbia is certainly not Spheris's most recognised work, given that she also directed Wayne's World. But it is quite highly regarded in its own canon, which is, I suppose, loosely that of uh, Punk Revolt. And uh, I know uh, you're a fan, Sydney, so I'll start with you. How did you come across it in the first place? Uh, I had a friend, because I'm pretty involved in the punk community, that introduced it to me a couple of years ago. And then I kind of branched out and started looking into a lot more punk films. Uh, the one that got me into watching Suburbia was actually watching The Western Decline of Civilization. And I enjoyed that so much, found out that she had directed a few other films, went out and looked for Suburbia, and became one of my personal favorites yeah pretty instantly yeah i think we actually showed decline of western sorry is it western did it decline we, of yeah, western, decline of western civilization right or western decline of one of the two my <laughs> brain is having a brain fart right now it's okay it's, it's, early, it's, early, it's early in the day but that was a, that was a three-part documentary yes, on the, yeah, uh, the kind of like the history of underground uh, punk in punk and metal in metal LA years. I think as well yeah cool and what about you Lacey how did you how does, how does this fit into your series uh, well again uh, bringing Dead Femme back in its second rendition as what I like to call Dead Femme Exhumed what I really wanted to strive for with this um particular series of movies is just branching out from you know in the first run of dead fam we were primarily horror movies it was obviously just me at the time sid wasn't involved the other girls weren't but um yeah just wanting to branch out and really just doing research into um fringe cinema directed by women not particularly you know horror movies you know specifically but yeah and i too am you know going back to my youth a big fan of uh, old like 80s dc hardcore and stuff like that i love mm-hmm. dbeat i love all sorts of music so to see movies that kind of you know bridge the gap between cinema and underground music and stuff i think it's it's just really cool but yeah for me it was just uh searching for different types of movies i can uh, slot in to kind of fit with the uh, branching out of dad fam so Okay. Yeah. I think it was actually the first film, the first feature film performance of Flea mm-hmm. from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. 
who you probably recognize from uh, stuff like he, t- he turns up in all sorts of weird stuff big yeah, lebowski I'm he's to in remember if he did dudes before that but dudes was afterwards which was yeah. another of penelope spears film. yeah okay yeah 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 and um, so it also has live footage of, uh, of D.I. performing Richard Hung himself. Now I know also that uh, Sirius wanted to go for uh, a primarily um, authentic punk cast, so that means uh, a, a series of non-actors, but I know we were speaking before about a, one of our favourite films um, is uh, Point Break, mm-hmm. directed by Catherine Bigelow, and it features uh, Chris Pedersen as well, who I only remember from Point Break as Bunker, who gets his face kicked in by Keanu Reeves. Yeah, um, that's actually one of the cool points that I wanted to touch on about <coughs> Suburbia is the fact that uh, Penelope Spheris just, she did, she kind of pulled a Larry Clark, in my opinion, and mm-hmm. instead of, you know, casting big-name actors, she went out and she cast a group of real-life punks. So I th- think that really adds to the authenticity of how, like, the scene is portrayed and how disaffected youth is portrayed in the movies, so... It's okay. It's so uh, Friday, May 24th. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have to remember that one. And we might have a yes. little something cool that we're planning in conjunction with the Suburbia screening. Don't really want to get into details because it's not fleshed out yet, okay. but all I can say is... What kind of thing? If we pull it off, it'll be yeah. pretty A, a punk exciting. rock sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to trash the place, are you? No. This is like, <laughs> Maybe. No. Not this place. <laughs> not we're finding place. a different venue for that. We are taking applications for places to trash, so... Yeah, he's email address. <laughs> you want just us to trash it. So you two also do uh, a dead. You started a dead film podcast. You said we did. Yeah. Yeah. So how's that coming on? Uh, pretty slow. Um, just because right now I recently just finished my communications degree, and we all have kind of different schedules. So we're it's uh, we kind of have just thrown it together. It was just an idea that came up uh, New Year's Eve when we were smashed and drank every type of liquor you can possibly imagine at Sydney's house. I think that's how this happened. It was a fun party. (laughs) So we drunkenly came up with this great idea to um, branch out Dead Femme into Dead Femme Radio. Um, So it's not currently available anywhere yet just because we have a few last minute things we need to add, like an intro theme and things like that. We're actually recording the second episode tonight. Um, so the theme of that is going to be punk rock genre movies, just to kind of promote the upcoming screening at Suburbia. Um, so yeah, it will be on SoundCloud. We're hoping within like the next few weeks here, because we do have our first episode from like a month ago. We recorded it <laughs> probably <laughs> longer, but we have so many awesome ideas for episodes we want to cover and so much inspiration. There's so many great podcasts out there. Metro Podcast, shout out. So Word. Uh, that's actually one thing that I've discovered doing this one. Initially, when I started doing it, I was using uh, music from the films, which was partly the reason I wanted to do it in the first place, because I thought it'd be a great idea to, you know, sort of collate some of these soundtracks of these great films that we show. And I realized, of course, you can't make it available to download if you do that, because I have no rights to any of that music. Uh, and what I found is that a lot of people in the community, a lot of musicians, have been very, very f- freely giving their music to me, uh, for me to use as artists like, uh, you know, Boosh, you know, Pigeon Breeders, Mangled Tapes, as well as, you know, he's got a variety of kind of like musical pseudonyms, he's let me all that stuff. 
uh, people as far as uh, as far away uh, as uh, Vancouver. They've all been extremely supportive of this. I think generally speaking, people are. So, you know, if you ask around a bit, you'll you'll have more music than you know what to do with. I think before uh, before too long. Awesome. Yeah, I know a few people, particularly in metal. Like uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Exhumed. They're like a gore grind type of metal band. Matt Harvey, who's the lead guitarist and vocalist, he is very into horror movies. I've met him a couple of times, and that's kind of his. Uh, one of his new creative endeavors that he's working on is doing movie soundtracks and stuff. So I know of a few um, Canadian people between Alberta and Vancouver who he has done um, work for on their movies and stuff like that. We're just taking forever <laughs> to do this, so no. It's no, no. It's like, I mean, you know, we all uh, we all have things to do, but I do like to, to use this as an opportunity to sort of cross promote uh, other people's podcasts as well. Many of the incidents shown in the movie are inspired by real life events. Mm-hmm. Uh, newspapers. So that's um, another thing that really struck a chord with me about Penelope Spheris' approach to mm-hmm. writing it is I am also a writer and I get a lot of ideas from newspaper articles and things that I see in the news. And so I think that's really cool. Again, it really adds to the authenticity as well as the fact that the condemned like area that the, the runaway kids live in and Suburbia was actually like a condemned building that was set to be demolished to put in like an air something with the airport or something. But yeah, again, very authentic in her approach to making Suburbia. Flea shoots a cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> he also has a pet rat, which I really like. What in the film? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like when you read this trivia, it's amazing. Like the the kind of trivia that you get so what I've got is the scene where Razzle which it, who, uh, played by Flea shoots a cockroach costs 50 bucks one of the most expensive scenes in the film apparently really? to yeah. shoot a cockroach really? because the insect was specially trained and had its own handler but was then shot they killed it <laughs> yeah but cockroaches you know maybe they could survive a gunshot <laughs> they can survive anything exactly yeah, they can survive being gunned down it's amazing <laughs> So yeah, I know I asked you last time, I don't think we even touched on Suburbia last time, but how is the shortlist coming on for, uh, I know you were just talking about uh, that outside, what, how's the shortlist coming for, for next things in the series? It's coming along, so we have uh, one more date slated for 2019, because usually, you know, they give me four slots for the year, and that yeah. gets, you know, spread out on a bi-monthly basis, so our last screening is going to be August 34th, 31st don't know particularly what day that is but it's august 31st um sid came up with a really fantastic idea for one movie that i've really wanted to show since i started dead femme um i guess i can say the title slumber party massacre uh amy holden jones um 1983 great slasher movie Mm -hmm. so we do have a very cool idea that again we're really hoping to get the screening rights for this one because it could be a lot of fun so Okay. That would potentially be like a late night screening where we encourage people to come dressed up in pajamas and kind of have our own little slumber party at massacre. the Metro for <laughs> Slumber Party Massacre, which I think would be really cool. Yeah, we'll invite a bunch of people in, they can yeah. sleep here, and then yeah. they can all... <laughs> all get massacred. Murder each other. Exactly. We'll hire a local serial killer. Yeah, it's going to be perfect. <laughs> all local. You want the real life experience, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. No, 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 we'll turn the lights off and just let some... <laughs> Where's Mark Twitchell these days? <laughs> Yeah, so that's kind of our plan for Slumber Party again. We don't want to get too far into it because it's not set in stone, but this is what we're definitely hoping to do with the last Dead Femme of the Year. And we do have uh, some other things in the works and some plans, so 
yeah, be prepared to see definitely a lot more dead femme in the future. And with dead femme radio coming out, you can hear a bunch of, you know, half obnoxious, half cut, you know, punk horror loving chicks talk about horror and punk and all sorts of cool shit. So, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully it's as, uh, it's as half-assed as my podcast. May 24th, that's a Friday. Yeah, 9.30 p.m. At 9.30, be here. Yeah. Be prepared to be here early because something may be happening, but we can't tell you what it is yet. Yeah. But if something, we can pull it off, yeah. it'll be we'll, quite we'll f- exciting. It'll be promoted well. I feel um, like you've said too much <laughs> that you can't tell me anything at all. It'll be a nice surprise. Yeah, and we'll definitely yeah. try to get Metro to promote that too. So yeah. We should get on that, actually. We should. probably should. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's coming, you know, up it's coming up to nearly a month away. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Lacey and Sydney, thank you very much for coming in and talking to me. Thanks, Owen. Thank you, Owen. Imagine. Good luck with your podcast as well. And, uh, and uh, yeah, go and find that. I will try my best to, uh, to post a link to it um, when I post this one. So awesome. hopefully you can hijack my listeners too. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> great. Thanks for offering. <laughs> Thank you right. for sharing. Yeah. Of course, of course. <laughs> One of our new releases in May is Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell. Uh, which stars Elizabeth Moss as Becky Something, lead singer of fictional punk group Something She. Moss has been nothing short of fantastic recently, having blown everybody away in The Handmaid's Tale, as well as some really interesting film roles over the last couple of years. I loved her in High Rise. I thought she was hilarious in Ruben Austin's The Square. And it feels like it's so recent, I've barely even registered it yet, but she was also uh, pretty amazing in Jordan Peele's latest Us, which I'm going to go ahead and call a masterpiece. I'm sure I'll have to defend that at some point, so there's something to look forward to. Uh, In this, though, she embodies the collapse of success into addiction and self-destruction. And certainly, uh, from reading around it, her smell feels uh, almost like an antidote to the more saccharine sentiment of something like A Star Is Born. Even the name suggests something more sensual and raw, like the taste of sweat or the adult frenzy of too much adrenaline. This is about the seventh feature from director Alex Ross Perry, whose first feature uh, in 2009 was an absurdist comedy shot on 16mm inspired by Thomas Pynchon's Gravity's Rainbow. Wow. It's a big book. Yeah, it is. I'm, I like uh, I like Thomas Pynchon a lot. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Are you a big fan of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice? Yeah, I really liked it. I've long been a fan of Thomas Pynchon as well. The first one I read was The Crying of Lot Forty Nine because it was the smallest. That's probably why. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, that's why I read it. However, yeah, uh, despite it being the smallest, doesn't make any of the, his uh, sentence structure any less dense. No, at all. Pretty There's rough. So much to unpack. But I mean, he's a fantastically descriptive uh, poet, and uh, yeah, I was a big fan of Inherent Vice. Actually, I thought that was nice to see. You know, PTA kind of like continue, uh, like returning to form a little bit. I wasn't a huge fan of um, of uh, Punch Drunk Love. It's so good, though. Yeah, I don't know. But I was compared to, or even Magnolia as well. Like I loved it at the time, but I, that, that's that ship has sailed. Yeah, fair enough. Boogie Nights, I can still, I still have a lot of time for, and um, and There Will Be Blood is one of my favourites, and I thought the Master was great as well. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, underrated, I think. I think it was strange. A lot of people found that so confusing. Well, I think that's sort of like Pynchon's draw. Like well, I, didn't, I, didn't find, I don't know how the film was confusing, though. You don't think so? Not really. I kind of thought it was a bit more of a, a, a psychedelic version of 
Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> it you know. is a bit like that, yeah. yeah. It's not. It's no more convoluted than that, really. No. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I thought uh, Joaquin Phoenix was very good as well. Uh, and I think as well, he's uh, he manages to get the best out of him in at least well in two instances when he's often misused. Yeah, I mean he's playing uh, Jesus soon, I believe, in the upcoming movie <laughs> Mary Magdalene with uh, Rooney Mara and Hakeem Phoenix. Really? Yeah, okay. Rooney is playing uh, the titular Mary. Wow, and he's also playing the Joker. Correct. He's just going for all the big roles. <laughs> yeah. The Joker and Jesus. The like Joker those, and you Jesus. Know, all the J's. Her Smell opens on Thursday, May 16th at 9.30 and runs through till the 27th. So, as always, go to metrocinema.org for more details. Thursday, May 16th at 6.30 sees the 5th and final instalment of Metro's Real Revolution series curated by Michael Jans. It should be Tom McCarthy's 2015 biographical drama Spotlight. Uh, so, Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me back. And that, not, Of course. This one focuses on an equally dark but perhaps more controversial subject matter than your previous picks, and that is uh, that is that of, of child sex abuse. So tell us a little bit about why you went for Spotlight. Sure. So in the, um, in the arc of the Real Revolution film series, I wanted to pick films that talked about social justice and talked about faith and asked big questions and uh so whether we saw with malcolm x or gandhi some of the more positive sides of uh uh, spirituality and what that can do for bringing a community together what i wanted with the final pick with spotlight was to talk a little bit about checks and balances in our society and the importance of a free press the importance of uh doing those uh deep and uncomfortable investigations and uh uh i think in this time right now where we hear about fake news and 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 we're Reminded about how democracy dies in darkness, that uh, we do need institutions such as the liberal media to really step up and ask those difficult questions and be involved. And we as citizens need to have these conversations. So what better of a film than Spotlight to to get the ball rolling? Absolutely. So for uh, those that aren't familiar, Spotlight refers to uh, the name of, uh, of a news team that worked for the Boston Globe. I think there's any, uh, at the time the film came out, only one member of that team is actually still working for the, for the Spotlight team. But it's the oldest continually operating newspaper investigative journalist unit uh, in the US. And the film focuses on its investigation into cases of widespread and systemic child uh, sex abuse in the Boston area by numerous Roman Catholic priests. Partially I chose the film because of the, the processes and, and the, the journey as much as the subject matter. Um, we've seen over the summer there's been all kinds of revelations around the world about child sex abuse within the Catholic Church and uh, uh, in no means is this is this is child sex abuse the, the monopoly of the Catholic Church. Many organizations have struggled with this but we're seeing right up to the Pope that his right-hand man uh, I believe has been recently investigated. Somebody was just arrested in Australia. This is uh, um, a terrible history in Alberta with our residential schools and everything else. And I think everyone everywhere is having to reconcile um, how can these horrible things happen and how do we deal with them when we do? Are they swept under the rug? Are they investigated by the church or are they investigated by the police? Do we have justice? Are we protecting our, our um, institutions, our churches, our, our priests, or are we protecting the survivors? And, and what happens when um, this happens? Is, is this just a matter of uh, moving the priest to another church or, or is it and, and, and paying a small amount of money to the family? Or can we reach in and deal with some of the systemic issues um, unfolding here? But to get at any of this, it first requires the time and energy to do the investigation. And that's why I think this film is so important.
raised an interesting point that not only was the film, uh, I think it received a couple of Academy Awards. I think um, it won Best Picture. So it was incredibly well received and, and for the year it was released, 2015, ended up on a lot of people's top five lists um, uh, for films to the end of the year. But it was also uh, very well received by the Roman Catholic Church as well, who uh, you know didn't decry it, but saw it as... Um, uh, as an incisive, revealing portrait of uh, a systemic problem. Yeah, and uh, many of my many of my uh, Catholic friends who are who are quite uh, quite devout have talked about how um, uh, th- this is an important film because they too in the church. There are many, just as much as there's a conversation in the news media about the child sex abuse happening, the conversation is happening in the congregation, in the pews, um, with the families and the children, and and everyone is talking about it, and everybody acknowledges that there needs to be action here. And um, it's, uh, it's, I, I think, uh, it's uncomfortable, as you said, it yeah. absolutely is. And I think that's why it's so important. But it is, it's never going to be comfortable talking about this sort of Nor thing. should it be. And, we should uh, never, absolutely. we should never find that, yeah. One um, similarity it kind of called up to me when I started reading about the film was that it reminded me a lot of, uh, of something like All the President's Men. Interestingly, the character played by John Slattery, which is Ben Bradley Jr., who is the uh, the overseer of the Spotlight operations, is the son of uh, Benjamin C. Bradley, who was also uh, worked for the Washington Post, who oversaw the Watergate scandal. Oh wow! So there's a there's a there's an interesting uh, link between that and and sort of uncovering. Uh, uncovering scandal and bringing names to justice. There's a scene where the reporter says to one of the lawyers, we're either going to write an article about Catholic Church sex abuse or we're going to write an article about crooked lawyers. Yeah. It's your choice which article we write. And I think that's really important about this film too, is it's it's not just about the church, it's about all of those who have aided and abetted either through their silence or their indifference or through um, the cash money cash. They've got paid yeah and, and and to keep this a secret and to be a part of the cover-up so um i think this film really rocks a lot of those institutions like the legal profession um when we talk about justice and and and, and the themes that this whole film series has got to i knew the theme i wanted to go for was a film about the media and free speech in that um but when i was thinking about different films to choose one of the reasons I landed on this one, and one of my friends said, "Oh, it's so it's so slow. It, it's slow. It's slow moving." But I don't think it is. What I think it is is it they they very quickly or they they very effectively capture how investigation and journalism and all of this is is hard, slow, tedious work. And so, in some ways, I think the pacing of the film is is a very uh, um, apt reflection of how these things come together. It's not just issue story headline it really does need you need a lot of luck you need a lot of chances for the right pieces to come together to get the story to print you can't get it wrong you risk jeopardizing everything burning sources all of those pieces so i think everybody uh whether you're in the journalistic profession or not should be should be watching this film Previously, you've had uh, Black Lives Matter um, before Malcolm X, and I know you've had uh, several other groups for. Uh, yeah, for the many film other partners. Yeah. Um, I first of all, I'd want to thank the Alberta Federation of Labor. They were fantastic when when we pitched them on the series that they were doing. They donated uh, uh, a series of tickets for each film so that students could come and be involved and, and participate, and uh, that was wonderful. We've also had the Moscow Film Festival come out. Uh, we had the Gandhi Foundation come out. We had Black Lives Matter. Uh, we have had uh, um, Pro Choice Alberta uh, come out for. Vera 
year at Drake, we've had uh, uh, a number of different community groups that have come together. And, and I think that's that's one of the special things about this series and about the Metro format is it's about bringing people together, not just around film, but around ideas and, and those discussions. So as always, as I, as I always say at the beginning of the film, buy your Silver Screen Pass, support Metro. Okay, so that is going to be uh, Thursday, May 16th at 6.30. And uh, as I say, it's the final installment of, uh, of, of this run of Real Revolution. Is this something that you want to bring back? Well, it's, it's something I'd certainly worked, uh, want to talk to the Metro team about. And uh, um, I, think, I think we have found that there, there is an appetite for these, these sort of films. But I would say to anybody who's listening on the podcast that if they're thinking about doing a series themselves, they should absolutely apply. It's, it's such a joy to work with the Metro team. Um, they, they really help, help you with all the details and to help make sure that your, your, your program could be successful. So if you have an idea, if you have a network that you want to push the film to, if you have a subject and uh, big or small, long or short, whatever the series, um, do, uh, do bring it forward and pitch it because uh, um, this is one of the great tr- cultural treasures of our city and uh, uh, it's up to us to, to use it or else we'll lose it. Absolutely. It is kind of one of a kind. It doesn't matter how well uh, or poorly formulated your idea may be. If there's things you want to see on the screen, ultimately it's up to kind of all of us to make sure that it happens, and we are very, very open to, to you know, pretty and much anything. So one of the things I've loved about doing this series too is at the beginning of each movie, when I'm introducing it on stage, I say, "How many of you came for the series?" And usually it's only around 30% came because of the series. Mm. Usually 70% came because they're attracted to the film. They might have seen it through Metro Promotions or other channels. So it just shows that regardless of the of the curation, these films have a have an appeal in and of themselves yeah uh which is really exciting so um yeah we want to keep showing that variety that you can't get elsewhere and uh as as we see the they're still in this digital time when uh you can be on your phone or be on your computer at home watching netflix or whatever there's still an appeal of that experience of coming to the theater and losing yourself for the two hours in this beautiful historical space and and uh getting absorbed by uh the freedom of the press absolutely all right michael thank you very much for coming in thank you We are showing uh, Kevin Bacon classics this month. I don't know if uh, if you were if you'd seen, but we're showing Footloose and Tremors. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, I know. I that's a film that doesn't get shown a lot. Tremors. Yes. Probably not. Probably not. Definitely not. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> Where? <laughs> Where? I once worked on a, on a short, not a short film, a feature film set where the producer also managed Kevin Bacon. So I'm related to Kevin Bacon. So you're you're in the six degrees. Yeah. Wow. That's and impressive. And by that, so are we now. Yeah. Yeah. There you it's go. that easy. <laughs> Two degrees from Kevin <laughs> yeah. Bacon. I was Amazing. thinking of uh, of adding that as a round in trivia, uh, just doing six degrees of Kevin Bacon and getting every team to somehow work out how they're related to Kevin Bacon <laughs> and to just to write that down. Actually, yeah. that's a really good idea. That is well, a good idea. Now we've got one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Go for it. Come to trivia and put me <laughs> on your team down. for a free mark. <laughs> like, are, are we are we fans of Footloose in this room? Footloose is one of those films that just I don't, I don't know if it's a, I think it's a Metro movie party. I feel like if it's not, it should be. I'm pretty sure it's a movie party. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That all that will definitely drag out a lot of people. Should do. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a fun one. It is a fun one. What we like is for some of these films that have a strong kind of dance element is is for people like Flashdance. 
We want people to be dancing in the aisles. They should mm. be. Yeah, we should just have a dancing <laughs> film. Why festival. hasn't that, that become? That a, should just be the. Theme. That should be the theme of the of the of the movie party. I don't know why it All has. All dance to. movies. Yeah. I think we're trying to find a host um, from one of like the local dance companies. To, I don't quite know what they It kind of seems like a bit of a no-brainer. When we have yeah. stuff like Homicidal, which has uh, like a strong performative element, and you have you know shows before each film, people absolutely love it. It's amazing. Yeah, so come along, dance in the aisle. Yeah, unfortunately, not so much of a dance film. Tremors, which has spawned, I think, at least two or three sequels. Yep. Yeah, at least that sounds about right. Yeah, I've not bothered to watch Tremors. Two or any of its, uh, you know, subsequent offspring. But where there's, can they really go with that? There's I mean, roughly I think five. Uh, five. Five sequels. <laughs> that's that's a lot. It is a two nights. Weekend full of bacon. So much bacon. Yeah. So that's two great nights out. Two awesome films you can come and get drunk to. Yeah. Have a dance. Byo bacon. Yeah. Byo. We're not selling bacon. <laughs> no. That He's would be irrational. <laughs> <laughs> Make absolutely sure you keep the weekend of the 25th of May free, lest you miss a pair of sizzling performances from the ever-captivating Kevin Bacon. That's Footloose, Saturday 25th at 7 o'clock for our Metro Movie Party and Tremors, which is part of Sci-Fi Cinema on Sunday the 26th at 9.30. Last month, Metro brought back Gaspar Noé's Climax, which featured a dead fest a while back, and in May we're bringing another pick of the festival back as well in Isabella Eklof's dark drama Holiday, primarily centred around Victoria Carmen Sans Sasha. Holiday follows the exploits of a drug dealer who takes a group of friends on vacation to Bodrum in the Turkish Riviera. It was a very divisive film at Deadfest, and uh, while that is certainly due to a particularly jarring moment of uh, graphic sexual violence in which Sasha is the victim, the film also paints her as a character that acts according to her own guile and motivation uh, to stay close to the people that present the greatest threat to her, not least because she is provided for and she relishes the lavish benefits that come with the life of crime. Throughout the film, we see very little in the way of regret, remorse, rage, vengeance, or a desire to rectify the horrors inflicted on those in anything other than a position of power. For the most part, our central characters aren't bound by any moral code, but in an unusual and almost mesmerising way, that's what makes the film such an unforgettable experience. Not dissimilar to Helen Cate and Bruno Forzani's excellent Let the Corpses Tan from 20. 17. And both of these films actually are strikingly beautiful to look at, almost worth seeing for their stunning photography alone. And in fact, Nadim Carson just won a Bodil Award for his cinematography on holiday, so it has not gone unrecognised. Definitely approach with caution, but do still approach. Holiday screens on Monday, May 13th at 9 o'clock, and again on Wednesday 15th at 9.30. So one of our long-term annual fixtures here at Metro is the wonderful Northwest Fest Documentary and Media Arts Festival, formerly Global Visions, uh, which showcases some of the very best in non-fiction filmmaking from all over the world. The festival returns on May 2nd and runs through to the 12th. And to go over some of what you can look forward to this year, I'm talking to Artistic Director and Director of Programming, Guy Lavallee. So, Guy, welcome. 
Thank you, Owen. Glad to be here, as yeah. always. Yeah. Uh, now, I know the program is made up of close to 30 films or something like that. Yeah, I believe it was um, It was going to be 25, and I think we ended up at 31. Wow, okay. <laughs> that's just that's just features, not including shorts. That's just features, yeah. Okay. We just invented time slots here, because yeah. you guys have the ability to bend time here at Metro Cinema. We do. It's one of our lesser-known uh, um, uh, qualities <laughs> that we're able to just adjust physics to our, our, our whim. Exactly. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, so um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's you know films from far and wide. So let's just mm-hmm. start off with uh, a couple of your personal picks. Okay, so um, first off, it's interesting because opening night, uh, typically every year, I'll look for something that um, maybe has some sort of a name behind it, or it's got maybe it's been doing a festival run and it's got some buzz behind it. Because obviously opening night, you want um, you want people to show up. Mm-hmm. Last year we did When They Awake, and we had all the musicians here on stage performing after, which was really cool. The year before we had the Theron Fleury documentary, because he had such a well-known name here. So even though the films themselves weren't necessarily hugely known, there was some known quant- uh, quantities in them. This year, I, I had been watching all these submissions and watching all these different films, and nothing was jumping out at me for opening night. And then um, there's a distributor we deal with called the Film Collaborative, and um, they're almost a cooperative for independent filmmakers that don't have distribution yet. Okay. It's like a one-stop shop. So um, they'll usually send me some suggestions of films I, I might want to watch. So this year there were a bunch, and I was, I was going through all these, these movies and watching them, and I got to one, with the, and the title was After So Many Days, and there was a one-line synopsis that just said, husband and wife duo... Um, plan to play 365 shows in a year, basically a show a day yeah. for for a year, and that's all it was. And I had I wasn't familiar with the band, and there was no trailer, and it's like it was so brand new there was nothing. And then I watched the movie, and <laughs> I actually immediately called the guy from Film Collaborative, and I said, "Thank you, we just found our opening night film," because I fell in love with the film and their story and the musicians so much. Mm-hmm that I'm like, this is the perfect opening night film. Part of the thing behind opening night is setting a tone, I think, for what's to follow. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, and tip, it's just, it's such a great story of this up and coming, kind of emerging duo. I love Music Docs. Music Docs do really well for us, but they're just really, I think it's a band, this is the band's called, uh, their name is Jim and Sam. Okay. Um, husband and wife duo, like I said, and, um, a band that not a lot of people are familiar with yet, I think that's going to change. I think they're so good. And that was part of what made me fall in love with the movie. It was like when I saw Once. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with the couple on screen, but I fell in love so much with the music. And I had the same feeling when I was watching this, that I just fell in love with the music. It was so good. I thought, you know what, I know it's it's an unknown quantity, but that's our job then to try and you know, tell our audiences, look, trust us. Mm-hmm. This is something worth seeking out and seeing. You'll be really glad you did. So the world premiere is a week before because another festival got wise and, and uh, the Dallas festival, I think. And then we've got the international premiere. Basically, it's coming here next. It's really only like the second screening of this film. I think there's going to be a trailer cut in time. Um, but what's really exciting is Jim and Sam are going on a European tour. So our opening night is May 2nd. They're starting a European tour on May 5th, but they're coming here first. So they're going to be here and they're going to perform after the movie 
and it's going to be amazing. That's brilliant. Yeah, so that's a real personal highlight for me, and I really hope people seek it out and discover it because it's well worth discovering. I had read at, I believe, Sundance, um, there was a world premiere of a film called Memory, <laughs> The Origins of Alien. Right. And yeah. I was immediately interested just because Alien was one of my favorite movies of all time. And then I saw the director was Alexander Philippi, who it dawned on me, I've actually programmed every single one of his films. <laughs> okay. uh, so this is the guy for anyone unfamiliar with him who made The People versus George Lucas and Doc of the Dead. And um, last year, uh, 7852, which was oh, the film that deconstructed the, uh, the, the psycho yeah. shower scene, which was amazing. So it's a really great movie for like movie buffs. Yes. Um, yeah. What was interesting is when I, so when I heard about memory, I was excited. And then when I saw it, I didn't, it really didn't dawn on me until I watched this latest one, how creatively he takes a really different approach. Like there's certain docu, like, Michael Moore. Mm -hmm. You know when you're watching a Michael Moore film. Yes. The, the subject matter might be different, but the tone and the feel, you know, and same with, the, I'd say, got like Errol Morris. Yes. You know definitely. when you're watching an Errol Morris film. What I found really interesting is, depending on his subject matter, uh, he takes a different creative approach. Um, with, with George Lucas, it was more of an irreverent approach. With something like Memory now, it's a much more... Um, I don't want to use the term academic because people can seem, oh, it sounds like, oh, you mean boring? It's like, no, and I, I, I use academic in the truest form of the word. Like, he, it's a really interesting um, dissection of the story behind how the movie came to be and then just the making of it. So it's, it's, it's for, for movie buffs, just like 7852 was, it's fascinating. Um, and then just for fans of the film, obviously. But the thing I find fascinating, I think I don't think you have to be a huge, like mega fan of Alien to really get a lot out of this film. If you just love the art of filmmaking, mm -hmm. there's so much because you get that peek behind the curtain into the process, and it's it's fascinating. Um, and he's coming. Oh wow! He's coming to the festival. First time here. He's like, oh, we'll finally meet face to face. So I'm really excited about that. And I think he's going to do. Um, uh, well, obviously a Q&A, and we might try and do a bit of a panel or a few other things with him while he's here, because I think he's a really special filmmaker. Absolutely, yeah. He's got a good um, uh, track record now yeah. under his belt, so um, it's really nice to be able to get kind of an established filmmaker like that here. I think that's going to be really exciting. I think people will really, um, really enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. So for closing weekend... We always do uh, our Mother's Day screenings on the afternoon of May 12th. Um, that's become a tradition that we just started. It's funny, the first year we moved to May, we realized after we had kind of set our dates that like, oh, we've got Mother's Day right in the middle. So we decided, well, let's let's embrace that and mm -hmm. do something. And we kind of did a you know, program something, especially just for, for moms. Um, and it was a big hit. So it's just kind of become this tradition. And every year people leave and they say, okay, you have to do this again next yeah. year. Yeah. So this year we've got uh, a fantastic movie called Bathtubs Over Broadway. Are you familiar with this film? No. So it's done a bit of a festival run. So there's this guy, and I, I believe his name is Steve Young. Um, I watched the movie a while ago, so correct me if I'm wrong. But 
He was a uh, one of the head writers or the head writer for David Letterman's show. Oh, okay. For late night for years. Yeah. And for anyone who's old enough to remember Dave's old show, uh, they used to do this recurring bit called um, uh, Dave's Record Collection, okay. where he would show he'd have a stack of vinyl, and uh, and they were all real, and they were like just the most ridiculous. You know, when you've gone to flea markets and yeah. found these ridiculous, amazing old records. So, um, so this head writer, part of his job was he would go to flea markets and used record shops and everything, looking for ridiculous records that would be good for for the bit. And he was going through these one day, and he found this this album, and he's like, "What on earth is this?" Because it was like a cast recording from a Broadway musical, but it was like for like GE Electronic or Electrics. Okay. He's like, "What?" And he looked at the back, and he's like, "This makes no sense." And he so he bought it and listened to it, and then he started doing some research and realized there was this period of time in the '60s. Where so all these companies, you know how companies have their big sales conferences. Yeah. Big companies have a sales conference once a year where they fly all their salespeople out, and it's like this is what we're launching for, you know, the next quarter, or the next year. Well, it became this thing. All these big companies would do these um, sales conferences, have their, you know, thousand uh, salespeople from across America come and converge. But they would commission an original Broadway musical about their products that would <laughs> that would only ever be performed once. Wow! At this event, and there's a ton of them. So he became obsessive about collecting these things. What is fascinating, and I think, what makes the movie so charming is he truly and honestly loves them. Mm. He does so. He doesn't make fun. Like he 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 eventually finds out. There were like these composers that ended up making a living just writing these like pseudo Broadway musicals That's incredible. for corporations that no general audiences would ever see. Yeah. And then they would do a they would press a cast recording to give to all the salespeople like as a souvenir when they were leaving. It's amazing. So it's really charming because he's he found it, you know, there was a a, a cat like um there were actors and and musicians that they were cast in a ton of these different. They they were able to to make a living hmm. being in these things. So it's it's really funny. It's really sweet. It's charming. Um, it's like the perfect you know. It's a perfect movie to bring your mom to, yeah. right? Um, and then right after that is Ask Doctor Ruth, okay? <laughs> uh, because everybody remembers Doctor Ruth Westheimer. I mean, she's still alive, but um, such a groundbreaking fascinating we're saying last year we had so much success on mother's day with our rbg <laughs> that yeah. um this is like this year's yeah. rbg yeah yeah that's uh that's, that's another one that's uh, been brought back multiple times we yeah for, exactly uh, the female gaze as well we showed it recently yeah uh, and that was fantastic yeah and then on the saturday night of closing weekend um yeah i always like to do something that i mean we've we have some really heavy films this year um i'm finding that um not as many political or Trump themed ones as we had last year. Um, there's a Steve Bannon doc called The Brink, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a lot of films um, about immigration and refugee crisis and all these things. So there's some pretty heavy films. So I always like to close on closing Saturday. It's a Saturday night. Have something a little bit more fun. Mm -hmm. um, so this year we've got the the double bill of who let the dogs out 
which is way more ridiculously entertaining than it has a right to be considering it's like how do you make a feature film about an annoying hit song yeah it's because there's this like mystery thriller aspect of who actually wrote this song it's crazy yeah so i saw it with an audience at south by southwest and like people were like doubled over with laughter and gasping and just like oh my god um and the filmmaker brant hodge did the freaks and geeks doc that we showed last oh, yeah, year that's right yeah. and he's originally from saint albert oh fantastic so he's coming he wasn't able to come last year so he's coming and then right after that is of course can we swear on the podcast you can I'll just beep it out. It's fuck you, Yui Bull, isn't it? Yeah, fuck you all, the Yui Bull story. (laughs) (laughs) Which I mean, it's what it's called. Absolutely, of course, hilarious, as anyone can imagine. But what's great is um, Sean Patrick Shaw, who directed this documentary, and this, I'm not making this up, originally from St. Albert. Wow. I know. So it's, Everybody's from Pink Albert. So we decided, I decided, well, let's just do kind of a, uh, we'll make it like a celebration of like local filmmakers that, you know, maybe aren't built, based here anymore, but born and raised here, show them together. And Uvi's coming as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So that should be a pretty, that should be a pretty fun evening, yeah. I think, and irreverent. Definitely. Uvi said he'll come as long as I have a private jet waiting for him. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him he can park it on the roof. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, that sounds. Uh, that sounds like we've got a lot of things to look forward to. Uh, so very uh, quickly, then, how, how how do people get hold of tickets? What's the uh, how does that all work? So uh, very simply, just go to northwestfest.ca. Everything you need is there. Um, the the full lineup and schedule is listed, and on every film page. Uh, there's a direct link to click to buy tickets. So you can buy tickets in advance if you want, uh, or you can buy them day of show. Um, we always, of course, encourage people to buy tickets in advance. Yeah. But um, you can buy tickets at the door on the day of the show. Uh, you can buy a pass that gets you into everything, including opening night, closing night, everything, and um, four packs, which are you can share. So you can use all four for yourself, or you can go to two movies with you know, a friend, or you can go to one movie with three friends. The nice thing about it is it's drastically discounted from buying four individual tickets. Yeah. You know, four individual $13 adult tickets. It's a great deal. So lots and lots of ways for people to uh, to buy tickets and, and find out what's playing. Awesome. Well, uh, Guy, thank you very much for coming in and talking to me. Anytime. See you in May. <laughs> Actually, that'll be in the past by the time this goes up. I, I, said that. I thought you were going to say see you in hell. <laughs> okay, <I'll> bye. <laughs> Okay, so very quickly, things that we are also showing but I haven't necessarily had time to go into any more detail about. We've got Lord of the Rings on the 20th, which is a Monday. What day? Is that a special day in, in Canada? Is I don't... Is that I a family day? So. No? Victoria Day. It's Victoria Day. Does that have anything to do with Lord of the Rings? No. Probably not. Sounds good, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And we're going to show all three extended editions of them, which will take about 13 hours or something. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. But there will be a bar, so you know there's that to come for. <laughs> second breakfast. Is it second breakfast. Yeah. Eleven Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, and uh, the last time we showed Alien was Erica's staff pick. Actually, the last time I remember us showing it. Anyway, we had about 300 people turned up for that. And it was fantastic. Alien is an amazing film to watch on the big screen if you have not done it already. Uh, and we're showing that on the third at 11:30. So it's a great time of the day. At night. <laughs> Great time of the day. Awesome. <laughs>
And the, uh, the reason, I think the reason we're showing that is uh, possibly, well, it's an anniversary. It, was, well, it came out in 79, so it'd be the 40th anniversary. 40th anniversary. Lego Movie 2, but, to be fair. Oh, is it? Yeah. Lego Movie 2. Mm-hmm. On the 18th, which is a Saturday. And on the same day, at about 10, Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, with a full shadow cast this time. Full shadow cast, yeah. Full shadow cast, which means that we have people on stage. In costume. In costume. We're also playing shadow that day earlier as well. So you could like double up on the shadows. The shadow yeah, cast exactly. and shadow. Shadow Saturday. Yeah. Shatter day. <laughs> 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 That's tickled me. Anyway, I think uh, we've more or less made it through. Somehow. Uh, somehow, <laughs> some way. But that's the beauty of this, isn't it? Uh, I've been Owen, and uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, William. Thank you, Brianna. Thank you, Talisha. Uh, thank you again to all the musicians who uh, contributed music to the show. They be pigeon breeders, Mark Templeton, and uh, Mangled Tapes, uh, and a variety of pseudonyms, as well as Leonard J. Paul and uh, whoever else I can find. I haven't quite finished uh, that part of the show yet, so that will be evident when you're hearing it, but not for me talking right now. <laughs> Uh, So thank you very much for coming. Thank you for listening, and we shall see you in the lobby. Adios.